I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. This is Dave Kittle, and I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy here in New York City. And the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We are currently acquiring physical therapy practices in New York and New Jersey. And today I have one of my colleagues, Marshall Sturman, on the podcast. And he is a forensic accountant. He's actually our uh, accountant and board member here at the Fieldmaker Group. Marshall and I, we connected back in 2019 before the world changed. And, and uh, now we're in a different world after COVID or during COVID. And we have him on. We want to talk a little bit more today about the physical therapy landscape, what we see, the pros and cons of it. And he's going to be bringing in his background and his expertise and his perspective on the financials and many conversations that we're about to have today about valuing practices. What are they worth based on their financials? We'll get into all of that and more. But before we do so, Marshall, first of all, welcome on. Hi. Glad to meet everybody. Excellent. So Marshall, tell the uh, audience, because the audience is mostly physical therapists, other uh, occupational therapists, practice owners from uh, across the country. Tell them a little bit more about your background as a forensic accountant. So that'll kind of lead into how we join forces and how you're helping us at the Fieldmaker Group now. Okay. I was a uh, partner in a large CPA firm for 35 years, retired a while ago. I'd done a lot of forensic work, a lot of M&A work, a lot of litigation work, as well as being a traditional accountant and doing audits and taxes. So I've seen all sides of transactions. I've, I've advised sellers. I've advised buyers. You know, sellers, it's interesting. Sellers, uh, especially family businesses or, or, or people that are looking to sell, this has been their life. This has been their retirement. They all sell for different reasons. They all want different things out of it. So, some want to protect their employees because these employees have been family to them. Some are purely looking for money. You know, everybody's looking for some money, of course, but uh, there's many different reasons. Some are saying, I don't want to deal with all the administrative stuff anymore. And that's pretty prevalent, actually, in the healthcare industry. Uh, so there's a variety of reasons and, and a variety of things that sellers want to accomplish. Some are concerned COVID's starting to hit their business. It's hitting a lot of businesses. It seems to be a thing that's with us and maybe with us for the foreseeable future. Got it. So in regards to your involvement, tell us why you were interested in, in uh, joining the board here and helping us in the physical therapy space. Why physical therapy? You probably wouldn't have said yes to any industry or any niche of healthcare. So why is this something that you saw would be of interest or of substance in terms of your seeing some type of opportunity and then also kind of marrying your experience and your knowledge and expertise into that opportunity? There's actually two reasons, Dave. One is I've been helped by physical therapists in the past. I've got a slap tear. I could have lost the use of my arm 
And I've seen the benefits of it. I've also seen places that I didn't think were beneficial. So I've, as a patient, I've enjoyed the benefit. I, I, I see how valuable it is. And the second, quite honestly, Dave, is, is I saw the potential. I thought that you, in fact, could build a business because I'm not just, it's not just any business I'm looking for. I was looking to align myself with someone that I thought would be a good operator, a good person to work with. And you, you came along, I assessed you and I said, yeah, okay. Excellent. I, I do remember when we first talked, it was like, I was looking for board members. So I'm kind of like interviewing folks, but I know you at the same time, you were like interviewing me. It was kind of like, is this both going to be a good use of our time? So I definitely appreciated that perspective. Plus here in New York city, I mean, that's how a lot of people are in business anyway. So it's like, you know, Hey, is this person legit? Is this going to be, you know, worth my time? Are they going to make me look bad? So anyway, I'm glad we got by uh, all of that. So um, you've had physical therapy in the past. You've been a patient, you've had shoulder and other issues and complaints. So you know what, you even know what, because you've had different experiences with physical therapy. So you even know like what's good or bad or like the one-on-one care versus high volume, you know, mill or factory type care. So you even have that perspective, which is really important, which is great. So now in terms of what we're doing most recently, you and I and the board, um, I know you really help us a lot, a ton, um, but specifically with the, with the financials, right? So we'll get uh, a practice owner's information, we typically will sign an NDA with them or they sign our NDA and uh, just, you know, a non-disclosure agreement just to keep everything private between us and the therapy practice owner. So we keep everything confidential. And once we do that, then we start to ask for a few documents and some information. We look for their their last couple of years of tax returns, their balance sheet, their income statement, their profit and loss statement. And then you and I and the board, we kind of share that information. We collaborate over that information together, right? And then we're, we're looking at several things. We're looking at the goodwill, but we're also looking at the financials. We're looking at the online and offline reputation of the practice, but we're also looking at what are the, what's the actual net profits of the practice. You and I, I would love to you know, anonymously talk about some of the things that we've seen because we've seen a lot, right? We've seen practices highly profitable and we've seen practices operating in a very tight profit margin. So what are just some of your thoughts or experiences so far as we're looking at different potential deals, we're speaking with different practice owners. You mentioned that some of the practice owners, you know, they all want some retirement, they want some money, they maybe they want to get their time back. They're all in different age groups, they're in different chapters of their lives potentially. But what is your perspective in terms of uh, looking at and assessing different financials from different therapy practices so far? Well, there's certain metrics that are applicable to virtually any business. How well the business is managed, you know, comes out through the bottom line. But there's a lot of metrics. You know, one of the metrics is is revenue per patient visit. You know, there's, there's you, you look at the trends, you know, in, in many industries, you'd go and you look at the last three, four or five years. We're in a different world now because of COVID. I'm seeing such wide swings from what were the good years. And in some cases, it doesn't look like it's coming back to those levels for whatever reason. Not sure why and, and some better than others. But you've got so I'm more focused these days on recent performance the last six months, the last year, the last two years, as opposed to I had great years, you know, three, four or five years ago, and and we expect to get back there someday. I don't feel that's reality anymore. 
but you never know, you know, every, everything is different. So you've got revenue per patient visit, you've got, uh, you know, number of visits per month, new patients, there's all these metrics that I'm sure any operator, any PT owner looks at. So we look at those same things, except that we look at it from the basis of how does it compare to others? How do they deal with cancellations, receivables? What are their write-off policies? Does the business have debt or not? Are the salary structures reasonable and competitive? Are all the therapists profitable or only some? We might go down even to the insurer contract level. Some contracts are, are more profitable than others. We might evaluate other opportunities going out of network. So we look at the picture as a whole. How does it then translate to the bottom line? And it's not just the therapist. We look at the front desk. How efficient are they? Because that plays a role in the business. Right. So I want to just quickly define a couple terms. So I know you're very familiar with EBITDA, but I mentioned this and I define it on several different episodes because I want my therapy colleagues and my practice owners that own therapy practices, healthcare businesses, I want them to understand and continue to hear of some of these common themes and common terms. So EBITDA, similar but not exactly net profit. EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And I know you know that that financial metric very well, as typically most businesses are valued at a multiple of EBITDA and typically will sell for a multiple of EBITDA. Uh, We've had another guest on the podcast, Iris Kimberg, who said that typically the, the multiple, like which multiple you're choosing on that sliding scale um, it is kind of subjective because it's it's like a negotiation or it's a conversation between a practice owner and the potential buyer. If you know, for practice owners out there, when we're talking about EBITDA, is there a way to easily break that down? And sometimes, I on the other episodes, like I said, I had described it as a ballpark net profit, whatever the net profit is at the end of the year, and then there's some addbacks and there's some different changes to it. Is there a simple way for a practice owner to understand EBITDA so that they could say, okay, well, if I have 300 grand in EBITDA per year, I could sell for 900 grand or I could sell for a million dollars or something, you know, in that range. So is, is there a simple way for a practice owner that's not financially as astute as you, not a financial uh, background, is not a forensic accountant? What's a simple way to look at or understand EBITDA? Uh, you know, as you said, you you take your earnings. You know, most people can just pull the, the number off their tax return. They would add back if they were paying interest, if they financed equipment or anything like that. If they still had depreciation, they'd add those numbers back. And uh, taxes, if if that in the company, taxes being income taxes, not payroll taxes. And then you take that times a multiple. You might make some adjustments because you know many businesses will. Uh, have some level of other expenses, personal expenses, or non-business expenses that to some extent may run through. You may make an adjustment and add some of that back if you can substantiate it. That's always a gray area. And then three times is generally in the range of the going rate. Now, there could be other factors based on location, how long the place has been there, reputation, the length of the lease, the terms of the lease. There's other financial factors that may say, okay, I got a good location, maybe it's worth a little bit more. Or I got a uh, I got a short-term lease, it's worth less, or maybe the buyer's not even interested in it. 
So you, you take a look at these factors. You look at, at turnover. Do I have therapists that have been there a long time? Are they, is it stable? Or am I running through therapists three times a year? You know, so you've got to take those non-financial items into consideration and, that be, and the buyer and the seller have to do that to get a sense of what that business might be worth. And, and then it's a, a negotiation. It's somewhat subjective. It's also, you know, if you've, got, if you've got therapists that have been there a long time, you, you may be overpaying them because they're almost family. So and, and, we, and we have, we have seen that. <laughs> we have seen that in a number of occasions. Right. So in regards to, so there's different metrics and there's different factors that make it a negotiation, make it a collaborative sliding scale. In regards to assessing, let's just say if it's, you know, a particular practice and if we assess it, we assess it, you know, as X, but the practice owner believes it's Y, what are your thoughts on how to bridge that gap? I mean, ultimately, sometimes we can't and the owner just believes that the practice might be worth more. And and, and on other episodes, we've mentioned some that are uh, picking almost like an arbitrary number that they want or need or they need to you know retire on to have a comfortable retirement. What are your thoughts around a practice owner who is maybe a bridge too far from where we believe it, what it's worth? using the standard financial metrics like EBITDA and net profit and, and a lot of the other standard metrics. So versus a practice owner who thinks that or, or wants a certain asking price that's outside of that range. How, how does that go? Do we walk away? How much do we try to sit down on the same side of the table and, and be collaborative? So, you know, it, it depends on, on each situation is different. Every deal is different. And part of it is you assess the practice owner and, and, how flexible, how reasonable you think that person is. But a lot of it is it sometimes can be compromised through some deal structure. Maybe that person takes only X percent, 70%, 60%, 80% off the table and sits there with that other piece, that other 30%, if that's the number that you've agreed upon, and has some upside. So they have an opportunity to get their number because they still own 30% and they're still in the business and they're still driving the business. So that's one way of getting out there. Another way is, is an internet, you pay them over years. So if, if, you know, it's a concept and I don't know if, if the owners understand the concept of present value, but if they're taking the paper and they're holding it over time, you know, that, that in a sense, that present value adjusts the purchase price and it gives them what they want over time, but gives uh, uh, the buyer what they want. So it's a lot of it is in the deal structure, the payment terms, what's guaranteed. Sometimes the owner wants to continue to work. So sometimes there's incentives where, okay, you work and that's built into the deal. Sometimes the owner wants to go out and market and bring in new business. You know, we could, something could be structured where you, you, that owner gets a share of that new business. So there's many different ways to do that if the owner is flexible and, and willing to do that. So... There's a lot of options. We can get really creative. Some practice owners want to sell 100% of their practice and they want to travel more. They want to spend more time with their children. They want to start the next chapter of their lives. They want to do a new journey, new venture, whatever it might be. In some cases, some practice owners could retain some percentage, almost like whatever they want, right? They could retain 5%. They could retain 25% and, and sell 75% of the practice. And like you said, keep 
some amount of equity and enjoy or or potentially capitalize on the upside of a group that has a different approach, more maybe different energy, different dynamic, more online marketing stuff, more ethical business strategies and techniques and things like that. And then on the earnout side, so not just necessarily all cash at close. It, it certainly depends on the practice. It depends on the financials and all that. But they're not necessarily getting 100% of the cash at close. Whatever the purchase price that is agreed upon, right. it could be 60, 70, 80, 90% at a close. And then there could be the remaining percent. Maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 60% as an earnout that's guaranteed by the buyer, meaning if the deal is signed and, and completed, that they will get those monthly or quarterly payments. The practice owner has those guaranteed payments, guaranteed by the buyer, but it's not sent, you know, wired to the bank account of that owner at the day of the close. Or, and, and, and that's one way of doing it, or they get 100% of cash, but only for 70% of the business. Right. That's, and, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. Right. So there's a lot of different possibilities. Some owners, the idea is somebody at that stage typically wants some flexibility with time, typically doesn't want to deal with the administrative headaches. Some do, you know, and some are good at it. But we try to treat each owner differently in terms of what kind of flexibility do you want and how can we build that into the contract so it's comfortable for everybody. Got it. Let's talk next about your experience and our experience so far. I would love to hear your perspective of interacting with brokers versus some of the practice owners who are that we're interfacing with that we're interfacing with the practice owner only. Like some of them don't have a broker, some of them do have a broker. There's pros and cons. And on other episodes, we've also talked to brokers, we've interviewed practice owners. Many executives and M&A advisors, a lot of people do agree that this is the biggest financial decision of your life, typically, the biggest transaction of your life, typically. So you should involve a broker unless you've been through it before or you feel very confident in negotiations and collaborative you know, deal structuring and all that. So there's pros and cons. What is your experience so far in collaborating with some of the brokers that we've spoken with who represent some of these practice owners versus some of the practice owners directly. And I'll, one caveat for me, at least, is the brokers that we have interfaced with is we get the financial documents faster because they've already been procured and organized by that broker before they ever put the deal on the market or advertised it or whatever, versus if we go to an owner directly or they find out you know, they, an owner reaches out to us directly and they're going to lead and perform the deal structuring, negotiation, collaborative deal process, et cetera. For us, it typically takes longer for us to get all of the financials, the last three years of tax returns, the financial documents, the lease terms, the insurance contracts, right? All of that. So it takes longer, but it's sometimes less, less barriers where we're speaking directly with that owner versus if sometimes we're speaking through or with a broker who's representing a practice owner. So in some cases, it's like we get the financial documents easier and faster with a broker. But sometimes, at least in the past year or so, there's variations. So what is your perspective on that? 
Well, I agree with you. We get the documents faster, but the negotiations are slower uh, because, you know, personally, my druthers, I'd rather sit down with the uh, the company and see what they want to do so that we could structure a deal as opposed to a broker, which was frequently more focused on just the number, the sales number, not necessarily the details of do I want more time? Do I want to, you know, and, and some do, I can't, you know, I'm just generalizing. So based on our experience, do I think that everybody, every, every seller should have some help? Yes. And it doesn't have to be a broker. Maybe it's their attorney. Maybe it's their accountant, somebody that, right. that could at least make sense of things and move the transaction along. You know, brokers are, are, are basically intermediaries and, and they get, you know, they provide value. They put together a document, they circulate it, they find prospective buyers. But then when you negotiate with them, it, it's a two-step process and you're never sure what that seller really wants. So it drags out the negotiations unless that seller says sell at any cost, which is never the case. And so far, we've had pretty good experiences overall with getting assessing financials, getting a non-binding LOI, letter of intent, or a term sheet of some type of an offer to practice owners. Along those lines is that we had spoken with Chris Vandeford on the podcast recently, and he's a, a dental broker mostly out of the Midwest and Southwest. He owns uh, Transition One. He's got other brokers with him. And he was mentioning that since he's been working as a broker for 20 years, he typically will have a new dentist or doctor that looking to sell their practice or physical therapist, sell their practice. And he's able to... He knows the regional or the national buyers. And based on the financials of that practice, he's able to know you know, okay, there's there's one or two or three best regional buyers or national buyers or larger buyers that would be the best fit for this particular practice. And he's able to call or reach out or interface with those potential buyers. And he said that the best deals typically don't need to go on market because the broker could or should be able to know the deal so well, and they should know the potential buyers in the marketplace and interface with them directly. And that's another way that it could speed things up in terms of the owner getting what they want, which is exiting some or all of the business, and then us getting what we want, which is to acquire great assets, great physical therapy practices that are reputable and and profitable and getting into what we want to do during integration and transition and, and growing them. So any thoughts on um, on how the financials fit with all that and the speed of assessing financials? Well, you know, and, and I, I agree. There are some brokers that, that know the market. You know, I've, I've worked in, a, in other industries. So I've worked with people that know exactly who to call. They make three phone calls and the deal is done or the financing is done. And I may, I've worked with others. You know, they put it up on a website. It's shotgunned out. And if somebody calls, great. If somebody doesn't call, it sits there. So it's hard to generalize, but if you have a good broker, it's he's definitely worth the money. You know, we've all worked with good professionals and not as good professionals. At the end of the day, they get done or they don't. As far as the financials, you know, it's a matter of if 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 a buyer and a seller are interested in getting done, you know, a larger company has people internally. So they want to sell their company. There's 
somebody there that's in the business or has the time is, is tasked with putting together all the information. A smaller company, you know, a PT, uh, a practice owner who's doing seven different, wearing seven different hats, you know, they're going to take their time because they're squeezing it in. They may not have the right amount of time. They may not know where to find some documents. Uh, They may not know uh, what the buyer is looking for. So, you know, a broker kind of organizes that. But at the end of the day, it's really up to that practice owner to come forth with all the documents to hasten the deal. Got it. Let's go with this last question. From our perspective, therapy practice owners, healthcare business owners, I want them to hear from you from a financial perspective, because from you and I, from our perspective, we want a potential transaction to be de-risked. And there's a lot of ways to mitigate risk and make sure that we're, you know, we can't, we know that we can't ever fully get rid of risk and absolve ourselves from risk. There's always going to be some something. What from our perspective, from a potential buyer, what would be important for a therapy practice owner to hear from us that we're trying to de-risk the situation. We're trying to, whether it's something as simple as like, we may want to only buy the assets of the company and maybe not the entity because we don't want to buy the past liabilities. We don't want to take over the practice and then a lawsuit come and say that someone's shoulder was burned by a hot pack 60 days ago and 60 days ago, it was the previous owner. So that's just one example. Or maybe you and I, we've mentioned before, you know, Medicare retroactively taking payments back because they did a chart review and the documentation or the billing codes were not substantial enough to warrant the ongoing treatment, right? And let's say Medicare says, yeah, that that happened uh, 90 days ago, and that was from the previous owner. So from our perspective, what do we look for? What do we care about to de-risk the situation? And I think it would be helpful for owners to hear? So there's several things. I mean, the first thing is, are there any deal breakers? A deal breaker is you've got all these insurance contracts, insurance agreements, they're not assignable. So we can't get paid. That's a deal breaker. You know, if, if they're if they're a big part of your revenue. So it's it's up to us to do our due diligence. And the owner could check some of these things, certainly their contracts. I mean, that's that's kind of the heart and soul of, of the revenue stream. Beyond being, that, being transferred from the, the current owner to us, the, to us. the prospective buyer. Right. And maybe and maybe some of them are in the owner's name and some of them are in a corporate name. And how do you deal with that? So that's first and foremost. Once you get past what I'll call deal breakers, then you, you've got the contractual terms. You've got things that you could put in the contract, indemnifications. And then when you get past the contractual terms, then it's the payment terms. And so we can de-risk, let's say we're concerned of cash flow. You know, some current owners are, are experiencing slowdowns from COVID and their levels of profit have reached a point where, you know, in an, in a, if, if we knew that was the final, we might walk away from the deal. So we might have a payment terms or less of an upfront payment or something to mitigate those cash flow risks from our perspective so that we got time to fix things. And, and maybe there's some contingent payments on that earnout. 
So we got to be able to make some adjustments or we got to be able to hit some numbers. Sometimes that owner wants to be part of it. So many times the owner wants to stay involved to make sure that it works for us so that we that they get paid. So right. a, lot, a lot of it is is buried into the contractual terms and the negotiations and, and what that owner is willing to do. And got what, it. We're, and what we're willing to do. It's it's got to work for both sides. And that means that we have to be able to have a successful business to pay that owner. If that business has gone downhill and that owner's trying to sell it, you know, we, we're either not going to buy it or we're not going to buy it and take risk. Right. That makes sense. Perfect place to pause. I definitely want to have you back, Marshall, in the near future. I want to dig deeper into, you know, net profit and EBITDA. I want to dig deeper into other topics and we'll uh, maybe even be able to maybe show some, you know, redacted financials or, or some almost like here's, we can just make up numbers, but we could say, Hey, here's a practice. Here's how we look at it. Here's how we would look at the approximate financials. And here, based on these factors, here's the window of a potential offer. We might consider for this, you know, hypothetical anonymous practice. We could do things like that as well, potentially. Excellent. So uh, Marshall, thank you so much for your time. If there's someone that wants to reach out to you, connect with you, maybe it's on LinkedIn or email, uh, anywhere else on the internet, what's a good place for someone to reach out and connect? Well, I'm definitely on LinkedIn. Marshall Sturman, S-T-E-R-M-A-N, first name Marshall. If there's more than one of me, there is actually more than one of me. It's a funny story. The other guy is not a CPA. Uh, there you go. So the Marshall Sturman CPA. Marshall Sturman CPA on LinkedIn. or m.sturman at hms-advisors-llc.com. Is that it? You got it? I think so. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time. We'll get you back on the podcast sometime soon. Look forward to covering more topics with you and uh, hopefully celebrating some good transactions, some, some good completions in the near future. And uh, we'll definitely be able to chat more about that You know, when we get there. Great. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E painrelief.com or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.